Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. Enjoy a drink with us while we tell you some wild stories of the brutal and bizarre variety. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we like to end our time with a chaser. Howdy folks, this is Editing Declan, and uh, I just wanted to say we had some technical difficulties with recording this podcast this week, so please bear with us. So mom, what brutal story do you have for us this week? So or- the story I am bringing to this episode is the story about Francisca Rojas, which is out of Argentina. And it's got a little bit of history behind it. So I will uh, be excited to tell you all about it and the history that's associated with it. So uh, what are you going to be telling us about today, Declan? So today I will be telling you about the story of Travis Walton and accompanying this story. I have the drink, the Goblet of Fire. This drink consists of six blackberries, two ounces of gold rum, two dashes of bitters, one to two teaspoons of honey, one to two teaspoons of fresh rosemary, optional, and also optional is a splash of 151 rum on top. So to make this drink, you muddle the blackberries in a cocktail shaker and then add ice and liquid ingredients, except for 151. Shake and strain into a goblet or other cup of your choosing. I didn't have a goblet, so I just put mine in a rocks glass. Okay, I don't have a goblet either. (laughs) You use the spoon to float the 151, like on the top of the, the drink, and then light it on fire. And this is why the drink is called the Goblet of Fire. And if you want, if you're feeling extra spicy, you know, you get a little bit of cinnamon and sprinkle it on top of the flame and it'll jump up and like create little sparks on top of your glass. So that that's something you could do if you're feeling extra fancy. However, I I opted out of the 151 today because uh, we're just doing an audio recording and I, I don't want to burn my eyebrows off today. So. That would be I, I pretty awkward. Out of the fire. Yes, it would be. I, yeah. I'd have a hard time explaining to my job why I don't have eyebrows. Good point. Although in this day and age, you could probably get away with it, and nobody would even bat an eye. Yeah, true. All right, Jane. Let's let's try this drink. Okay. It's pretty good. I'm not a huge fan of rum, but I like this drink. Neither am I. And I had some issues with my honey. Mm-hmm. And when I put it in the oh, it glass like or in the shaker, it solidified. So it looked See? like I had a giant, um, like one of those Werther original candies in the bottom of it. So uh, did you put the ice in before the honey? 
No. No? No. Is it, did you just have like old honey where it like crystallized or something? It, w- it was old honey and it was it was still liquid, but it was pretty thick and partially crystallized. So I think that might have been the problem. So then oh. I just put a little bit more in the glass after I strained it out. Because nice. it was literally uh, a glob of honey in the bottom of my shaker. I couldn't get half of the drink out and I didn't figure out why until I took the lid of the shaker off. And then I found a ball of honey congealed in it. I had a like a feeling that it would glob up if I put the ice in. So uh, before I made the drink, I, I squirted some in and stirred it up with a spoon just to make sure it like kind of mixed up a little bit. That's that's really smart. I did not think of doing that, and I got <laughs> a honey rum, red honey uh, blackberry <laughs> candy at the bottom of my shaker. That's pretty gross looking. It sounds kind of good, actually. Honey well, blackberry if that's what you're going to eat, yeah. <laughs> yeah. While this cocktail is inspired by the Harry Potter series, the fire part of the cocktail complements the movie based on the story I chose to tell you this week. So for the month of October, we will have one of our stories for each episode be a story that's also had a movie written about it. So... For this week, I chose to write my story about Travis Walton, and his movie is Fire in the Sky. I like that connection. That's really good. Yeah, a little sparkle and flame. This drink is dark, so it's like the night sky with some fire in it. Fire in the sky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. I hadn't really thought about that until you said that. I don't, ever since you the Elisa Lamb episode and you mentioned the floater, I start trying to think about the drinks and like their connections. Yeah, that was pretty. Uh, that upset a few people. That, that was heard. gross. <laughs> that was, was really gross. gross. It was really gross. <laughs> oh, but it makes me laugh. So uh, I guess yeah, that's pretty funny. That's all right. Yeah, we all are. Well, yeah, you know, all of us, but you and I are. That's true. That's true. So before you get started telling us um, about Travis Walton and the movie, I wanted to give a shout out to a podcast that I have been listening to lately. And I found them on Instagram and then had to go find them um, on all the other places so that I could listen. And the podcast name is That's Not Good, a true crime podcast. And it's hosted by two friends, Hannah and Amber, they have got some great stories. They've got a great connection and vibe between the two of them. It's really fun to listen to them and just wanted to give a shout out to them. And if anybody's interested in going to check them out, I highly recommend it. It's a good podcast. So let's hear about Travis Walton. So Travis Walton was an average small town man from Arizona. 
He worked as a logger in the Apache Sitgreaves National Forest near Snowflake, Arizona. On November 5, 1975, he was working in the National Forest on a crew of seven men. After a long day of hard work, the group decided to call it a day. They packed up their tools and loaded into their truck. As the sun was setting, they started making their way back into town. This is where things took a bizarre turn. While driving down the old logging road, a group of men spot lights flying through the sky above them. Shocked by what they saw, the group stopped the truck to look at the lights. Travis was sitting in the passenger seat. There was uh, one other person sitting in like the, the little middle bench seat that old trucks have. Mm-hmm. Once the truck stopped, he got out to have a closer look. As he what? approached... I don't know that I'd be getting out if I saw lights in the sky. Yeah, I I wouldn't get out of the car because that... But then again, Barney and Betty Hill were in their car, so... Oh. And, I mean, if you just saw lights in the sky, you might get out and see if you could get a closer look to figure out what they are and not think it was anything bad. So, Okay. But unless you have, like, super dark tints on your window, you could just look out your car window. Yeah, but (laughs) sometimes when you see something weird, you're like, I need to get closer to that and see what it is so I can figure it out. That's how white people die in horror movies. Well, I don't do that. that. If I see something weird, I'm like, (laughs) time to leave. I'm good. I don't want to figure out what that is. Okay, that's true. (laughs) As he approached the flying object, a huge beam of light shot from the UFO to the ground where Travis was standing. Oh! The six other men no. started to scream at Travis to get back into the truck so they could leave. Okay. This is where Walton's memory of the vent start to get fuzzy. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. I, like having pieces of your memory missing is a, a really scary thing. That... That is terrifying. Yeah, like blacking I mean, out I've drunk done and then that. just like, oh no, what did I do? Yeah, right? I mean, several of us have had those nights when we've had a little too many goblet of fire drinks. Exactly. And then you <laughs> you wake up the next day and you go, did I do this? I'm going to have to ask everyone I was with because I think Here's I might have done that. You have to search through your phone to make sure you didn't text anybody or do anything stupid yes exactly when the beam of light came down from the sky travis jumped behind a rock to take cover but it was too late the men in the truck report that walton was hit with a bright beam of light and when the light cleared he was gone oh shit he was gone yep just vanished oh my gosh a couple, like, the, the reports are a little, like, uh, some people say it looked like a lightning, like a giant lightning strike. Some people said it looked like a blue flame. So, oh. uh, it the, the witnesses kind of, like, described it a little differently. But it, it's probably just a super bright blue light that you couldn't, it just blinded them and then... When 
they could see like after the bright light, he was just gone. I don't, I don't know what I would think. Like if I was the, you know, sitting in the trunk and, or in the truck and my buddy got out and, and then was just gone. I don't know what I would think. I'd be really mad at him for getting out of the truck. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I would think. I'm like, God damn it, bro. You just made my life so much harder. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's true. That's true. Terrified by what they had just witnessed, the logging crew floored it down the road. And these logging roads, they're super narrow and have some like pretty sharp corners because they're uh, up on like a mountain pretty much. Oh, jeez. The, uh, the crew was driving so fast that they almost totaled the truck trying to get away from it. Uh, this was back in the 70s so the trucks weren't meant to fly down old like logging roads right yeah and logging roads can be really treacherous and there's often like a lot of rutting from like weather and just heavy vehicles passing over them so it's probably not a smooth ride there's a lot of potholes and bouncing around and which is worse when you're driving fast yeah and you're panicking because your buddy just got abducted like right or i i don't know if i would think the person got abducted versus vaporized like both of those are terrifying scenarios but i think i would be kind of borderline of i I don't know if if they just are you know on a spaceship or poof gone pixelated (laughs) i i i'd I'd probably think he was vaporized too just just gone in this this space-time continuum just vanished right yeah poof So once they put some distance between them and the UFO, they had a realization that they couldn't just leave Travis there. So the group decided to turn back and uh, head back to the spot where they'd last seen him. And this proved unsuccessful because Travis was nowhere to be seen. The crew went to the police to report what they had seen, but were only met with speculation. Oh, I can imagine. Like, who's going to think, yeah, sure, all right, you saw something in the sky and then your buddy just disappeared. It's not yeah, a magic that, trick. I, I'd have a hard time believing it, but... Yeah. I don't know. After being hit with the ray of light, Travis woke up in a room that looked like a hospital room. You could see three small creatures in the room observing him. The creatures were... Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. The creatures were short, bald, and had a large head and eyes. Ew. Yeah, so like, think of classic alien. He said they weren't gray, but they were like, they looked super pale, like, uh, yeah, just basic like oh. alien. When you think of alien, yeah, that's that's kind of what he saw. Oh, that's terrifying. Panic. Yeah, panic immediately set in, and Travis uh, hopped off the table and, like, swung at the aliens trying to hit them, but uh, he he didn't really... He, like, pushed one, but didn't do, like, really too much damage, because I don't know if you guys have ever been, like, knocked out, but you can't really, like, 
move your limbs how you think they would move. So oh. he just kind of just like knocked one over and then uh, uh, they like scurried out of the room after he, after he attacked him. I wonder what oh. they were thinking. Like, oh, we're just like checking this guy out and now all of a sudden he's swinging on us. I, I feel like that. they understand. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. They they probably thought that he was going to be nice. And then when they realized he wasn't, then they're like, oh, shit, time to go. Let's leave. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Okay. After a while of panicking, uh, a different creature walked into the room. There's this, more than uh, one kind of creature? Yes. Yeah. Ew. So this appeared to be a human, but Travis said that somehow he knows it wasn't. <gasps> I, he didn't elaborate too much on that, but he he just said he he could sense that it wasn't a human, but it looked like he said that if they were walking through a crowd, he wouldn't like be able to pick them out. Oh my god. Yeah. That's terrifying. That's Yeah. Really makes you think. <laughs> yeah. I, oh. Now I'm going to look at everybody I walk past the, on the street sideways and be like, what is that? Well, it's like uh, Men in Black where I think it was the first one where they, they took over that farmer guy. Oh, you just God. see someone walking super weird and like acting weird. Right. Maybe they're an alien. Oh. <laughs> Or they could just be the people that walk around on the streets by my office. <laughs> the human-like creature was wearing a jumper-type suit, kind of like uh, like a Star Trek-style, like one-piece suit, like futuristic-looking. Oh. And he had a clear mask over his face. Ew! What was the mask for? I, we don't know. <laughs> oh, COVID. Yep, COVID. <laughs> well, this is the 70s. Maybe it was... Well, maybe he knew. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he knew and he thought they picked up Travis in 2020 well, and not 1975. If you think about it, aliens come in here. We are like full of bacteria and like gross stuff. We could like cough on them and accidentally yeah. kill their entire species. So, well, that's that's true. Maybe they should have thought about that versus coming here and abducting Travis. <laughs> Travis felt that the human, the, the the human, was trying to reassure him, but it never spoke any words. So, it, telepathically. I think so, yeah. You said it never, like, spoke anything. It just kind of, like, walked up to him and tried to reassure him and make him feel better, but... It just keeps getting grosser. Yeah. So, shortly after, the creature led Travis to a different room where there were three other human-like creatures in that room, also wearing clear masks. They fitted him with a mask similar to the ones the humans were wearing. After the mask was put on, he began to go under, like, anesthesia. 
he doesn't know if that's what it was, but as soon as the mask was put on, he light his lights went out. So, oh. Uh, the last thing Travis remembers from this whole event is waking up on the side of a highway near Heber, Arizona. <gasps> oh my gosh! He was able to make his way to a gas station, where he was able to call his brother to come get him. Travis Walton had been missing for five days and six hours. Oh my God! Yeah, almost, almost a whole week. Walton's Cow, story that is a long met. time. Yeah, that uh, that's enough to say that he's just just write him off as dead. But yeah, Walton's story was met with skepticism, but his but he sticks to his story to this day. His story was the inspiration for the movie Fire in the Sky. And uh, on a side note, Travis's brother had spotted a similar UFO in those same woods many years before when Travis was a kid. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He he remembers it, like his brother seeing it because he came in the house like freaking out and the... He, he, like, brought his mom in the other room, and they whispered about it. And when Travis asked, he said, like, nothing. But uh, years, like, after the incident, his brother admitted to him that he saw, like, a UFO in those woods. Holy cow. And also, on the night that Travis was abducted, there were uh, a couple UFO sightings from the same national park where he was abducted from. Like, a couple hunters. So he and his buddies weren't the only ones that saw it? Yeah, there were there were multiple reports from that same area. That oh, jeez. Yeah, and Creepy. that's the story of the abduction of Travis Walton. Wow. You can watch this movie. I think I watched it on YouTube the other night. You, okay. Yeah, YouTube. What did you now, think of the like movie? And TVs. The movie is really good. I like the movie, but it you can tell like they. Uh, added some extra like dr- dramatized is that the word right they they dramatic dramatized dramatized <laughs> the movie like that to make it like more appealing but uh right the interview i was listening to travis walton he said that he he approves of the movie and he understands that they had to make it more dramatic like for box sales well i would think so yeah i mean yeah. Obviously, they don't know what – he doesn't even remember what happened to him, right? So, I mean, they kind of got to make shit up. Yeah. And, like, I don't know. In the movie, there's, like, a – shows, like, the whole spacecraft, but it Travis never really saw that. So, I don't know. It's a good movie, though. I would recommend to watch. So, Mom, what brutal story do you have for us this week? So, I have the story. Uh, It's a story from a few years ago out of Argentina. And it is about Francisca Rojas. Um, 
In the current criminal landscape, everyone is used to fingerprint technology leading to an arrest and often a conviction. It might not be the only piece that allows for the guilty person to be convicted, but it often might be one of the first steps in identifying the perpetrator. Because it is so commonly used today, it might be difficult to realize that the technology wasn't always around. This is the first case believed to have used fingerprints towards identification and conviction of an offender. So a couple years ago, like I said, in 1892. On June 29, 1892, Ponciano Caraballo walked into his home in Nicochea, Argentina. Side note, don't speak Spanish. Probably going to really destroy these names, so I apologize because... I'm doing my best. Um, (laughs) He had previously been out with friends that night. He shared his home with his wife, Francisca Rojas, and their two children, a six-year-old son, also named Ponciano, and his four-year-old daughter, Teresa or Feliza. The problem with the youngest child's name is that sources get the names different, and they even report the gender as different. So, oh, gosh. not really sure if it's Teresa or Feliza or even if she was a girl. Um, it's oh. such an old case. Yeah. It's difficult to really find out the details. I looked at several sources and some say Teresa, some say Feliza. One of them even said a boy, two sons. So, I don't know. I'm doubting that there was a lot of information obtained at the time, probably not a reporting that went on back then, but what do I know? (laughs) Uh, When Ponciano came home, he went upstairs to find his two children dead on the floor. Next to the children was their mother, Francisca. She had been cut on her throat. However, Francisca was alive. Thankfully, Francisca's wounds were not life-threatening, and she was able to tell police who the perpetrator was. Francisca explained that their neighbor, Pedro Ramon Velasquez, had been making sexual advances towards her earlier that day. She rejected him, and he threatened her and the family. She said that later in the day, he returned and attacked her. She said he assaulted her by hitting her in the head with a shovel, barricaded the bedroom door so they couldn't leave, and attacked her and the children with a knife from her kitchen. Damn. So a real peach of a guy. Yeah. Yeah, getting hit Velasquez, with a shuffle is not, not cool. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty aggressive. And then, you know, I mean, if you're going to subdue somebody so you can stab them, I guess that's a way to do it. I will say getting hit on the head with a shovel is kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a that's a Tom and Jerry hit. That is, it is a little cartoonish. Yes, yeah, it, it's just based on the noise alone. <laughs> I don't think it makes that sound for real, but it I've never hit anyone it. on the head with a shovel, so I don't know. Go look it up on YouTube. <laughs> it, okay. it makes a funny noise. <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of videos of that on YouTube. Oh yeah. Velasquez was arrested on suspicion of murder. However, he had an alibi, which was quickly discovered. Turns out, Velasquez and Ponciano Caraballo, the father of the murdered children, and Francisca's husband, 
were not just neighbors, they were friends. And the two were actually out together when the murders and the assault occurred. I find that hard to believe. Which part? That they were together? The alibi. Yeah. If they're all friends, then those sounds like the number one suspects to me. Like, well, well, what was it? Her boyfriend and her, her what? No, it was. So the guy, she said, Velasquez, Mm -hmm. she said Velasquez assaulted her and killed the children. Mm -hmm. But he had an alibi. He was with her husband at the time of the murders. Yes. I don't know. That sounds fishy. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Okay. Well, I will tell you more of the story and clear it up. Less fishiness coming up. Uh, When Francisca learned this information about the alibi, she changed her story and said that Velasquez had actually threatened to take the children from her at the instruction of her husband. She claimed that Ponciano was going to leave her and take their children away from her. She stated that her husband had lied about the alibi to further the plan between the two men. So she said Velasquez did it because he was romantically interested in her. And then when she heard he had an alibi, she's like, oh, no, wait. My husband's trying to steal our kids and got Velasquez to attack me to try and take the kids, but then he killed them? How does that help? Also fishy. Uh, Yes. Yes. Police believed Francisca and went to alternate methods in order to obtain a confession from Velasquez. Those methods being the well-known option of beatings. But that didn't work, so they tried something I have never heard of before. Super grisly and morbid and gross. So I apologize. This really is gross. Okay. They tied the dead bodies of the children to him, to Velasquez, mm. their suspect. And they left him in a jail cell overnight with the decaying bodies. Oh. Yeah. And then the next did morning. It say, did it say like what, what? they tied the kids to him with like rope or i would assume some kind of rope or something it didn't say they just tied the dead bodies to him and then left him in a jail cell jesus and the next morning he still didn't confess so they were like well that didn't work let's get back to beating on him and so they beat him for another week god damn so don't get arrested in argentina in 1892 Yeah, that, ugh. Yeah. So after another week of beatings, the police still didn't get a confession. He continued to maintain his innocence. So the police decided to get assistance from a larger police force in the capital city of La Plata. Eduardo Alvarez, the detective assigned from the La Plata Police Department, began his investigation by questioning Velasquez. 
Alvarez learned that Ponciano, the children's father, was not the only witness to Velasquez's alibi. There were several other people who corroborated that Velasquez was out around town at the time of the murders and could not have committed the crime. While Alvarez was investigating, he learned that Francisca had a boyfriend. So she's shady in her lies and hiding a boyfriend. Real top. The boyfriend notch. was overheard. What? Real top notch person. Yeah. It gets better. <laughs> the boyfriend was overheard by someone saying that he would take Francisca away from her abusive husband. But the boyfriend wasn't interested in her children and called them little brats. Alvarez went to the home to do further investigation. He noticed that the bedroom door had been barricaded, like she said, but it was barricaded on the inside using the shovel, which would prevent anyone from leaving the room through that door. This meant that the killer would have to leave the room through the window but there were no footsteps outside of the window. Remember when Francisca said that she had been hit in the head with a shovel? Mm -hmm. Well, there were no marks on her body con to confirm that statement. So she yeah, had that. no scrapes, no bruises. Never been hit in the head with a shovel. I'm thinking I would have a mark from it. Oh, yeah, that'd probably crack your head in, I'd imagine. Hit hard enough, right yeah, probably. I guess she was it. fine. Yep. So another thing was the knife. The knife that was used to kill the children was from Francisca's kitchen. However, the prime suspect, Velasquez, was an agricultural laborer, and he regularly wore a belt with work tools, including a very sharp knife that allowed him to work easier. The detective Alvarez believed that Velasquez would more likely use his own knife since he wore it most of the time rather than one he had just found in the home. Mm. Also, Alvarez found a brown-colored stain in the room on a panel of wood. Now, the panel, again, this is another sketchy detail uh, of the location. Some sources said it was a window. Some sources said it was a door. I don't know. It was a piece of wood um, to the point where the detective could remove it and take it to the police department. So he removed the panel of wood. He looked closely at it uh, and determined it was a fingerprint in blood. Mm. Okay. So what's really interesting is Alvarez was aware of fingerprints because he worked with a man named Juan Vucetich, Again, I know terrible pronunciation. Don't come after me, people. Um, and Vucetich worked for the La Plata Police Department. So they worked together. They were coworkers. At this point, fingerprints were not really a thing. Nobody was using them for very much. But Vucetich was. He was an anthropologist who moved to Argentina from Croatia in 1882. Soon after moving to Argentina, he started working with the police in La Plata. He was uh, interested in fingerprints, and a few years after starting there, he 
wanted to use them for the purpose of identification, he began a research project to determine if fingerprints could be used to identify individual people. And he had gotten about 1,500 samples of fingerprints during this project that he was working on that showed that prints could be used for identifying a person. So he was really familiar with this. And then because he worked with the detective, they worked on this whole thing together. At the time of the murders, the La Plata Police Department was the only one in the world to be using fingerprints as a means of identification. Hmm. Alvarez removed the wood panel with the fingerprint. He provided the panel and Velasquez's fingerprints to Vucetich, who determined through careful examination that they did not match, so Velasquez was cleared. So that guy's gone, no problem. But then they're like, well, then who did it? So when Alvarez learned that the prints were not a match to Velasquez's, he took Francisca's fingerprints and sent those to Vucetich, who determined the prints were a match. Ooh, that's not right. good. Alvarez presented Francisca with the evidence of her prints matching those in the rooms, and she provided a full confession. However, she claimed that her murder-suicide attempt was because her abusive husband had threatened to take the children away from her. But the actual truth came out sometime later. Francisca had developed a boyfriend, and she wanted to leave her husband. She wanted to run off with her boyfriend, but the boyfriend wasn't interested in taking her children with them. So her solution was to murder her children, cut her own throat, and attempt to frame her neighbor. So two years later, yeah, two years later, Francisca was convicted of killing her children, and she was sentenced to life in prison. So... A little piece of trivia, fingerprints were originally used about 40 years before this case and started in Europe as a method to identify someone signing documents. It was not used in a criminal investigation until this case. And that is my story about the first case used with fingerprints. That's super interesting. I did not know about that. I didn't know about that either. It, I just randomly one day was like, what was the first case to use fingerprints? And so I found this one and I was like, holy crap, that was pretty gory. I mean. Yeah, shit. Just, I mean, you hear a lot now about parents that for whatever reason, you know, kill their kids or try to kill their kids and then either say somebody else did it or whatever, but I thought that was kind of a newer phenomena, but no, turns out it's not. Been around for 200 years. Yeah. Almost. That's that's wild. Yeah. Yeah, That's a good story. I guess. Good. Bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good telling of a bad story. Good. Right. There you go. There you go. (laughs) 
So, Ma, what chaser do you have for us today? So, I read an article a couple of days ago, and it just made me smile because it was about a smile. So, there's an area of the Oregon forest, I believe it was off of Highway 18, which I don't have a clue where that is. I know Highway 18 is nowhere near us or me. Maybe it's closer to you. Could be. I believe it said it was Polk County, but not being a geography person, I don't know anything about it. But I've seen signs for has Polk this... County. I just don't know where it is. Oh, yeah. I think it's closer. It's definitely closer to you than it is to me. Yeah. Uh, but there's this area of forest where they have, um, you know, the kind of trees that stay green all year round. And that's pretty mm-hmm. typical of most of the areas where it's like pine trees and things like that. But they took a section and they planted a kind of tree that changed colors with the fall. And they planted it in the shape of a smiley face. So in the fall, when you drive by on the highway, there is a giant smiley face in the side of the hill. That's super cool. Yeah. I, I... I want to find out where it is and go see it because it sounds like it's really neat. Yeah, you should. And we should like plan a road trip somewhere where we drive past it. Definitely. And go up to the coast or something if it's... We'd have to do it fairly soon because I think... I don't know about up there, but the, the leaves are starting to change colors a little bit here. But they're definitely starting to fall off. Like the edges are browning, but not a lot of golds and yellows yet. Nah, it's fully green here. <laughs> okay. You'll have to let me know and we'll come up. Okay. Uh, my chaser also has to do with a smile, but it's not as feel-good as yours. So there's a new movie coming out. It's a horror movie called Smile. And... uh. They've been doing some interesting advertisement for it. So they, uh, they've been sending people, like paid actors, to like major sports games and like major events where there's going to be uh, like camera people. Like they've even sent them to news stations like where people are reporting on the street and they just pay these actors to sit there and smile super creepy like they do in the movie. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. They're like, they. I've seen a couple pictures from like uh, baseball games and like different sports games of like that someone would go on the Jumbotron and they'd be wearing a yellow shirt that says smile and they'd be smiling super creepily at the camera. And it's all like advertisement just for this one movie. Oh my gosh. That's super cool. That sounds so gross. I don't know what I would do if I saw somebody just creepy smiling at me. <laughs> I, I, it makes me want to really watch the movie now, which I'm sure is their goal, but. Well, I, then they were successful in that. What's the plot yeah. of the story? I I saw a trailer for it. I think it's just like I don't know if it's like an infection or just like something like 
curse or some some weird thing is making like people smile and it's like like this therapist she has a patient and like right her patient ends up like killing themselves in the middle of the session and right before they just like crack this really creepy smile and then like kill themselves so like something that's happening to a lot of people i believe Uh, okay yeah i think that's the plot of the movie but i'm not sure (laughs) yeah i will be watching it when it comes out (laughs) okay you'll have to let me know how it is (laughs) yeah my chaser wasn't scared already (laughs) yeah yeah well thank you for chatting with me today declan that was awesome i loved hearing your story yeah, mine, mine wasn't as gross as yours. Yours was pretty. No, pretty mine was upsetting. Pretty gross. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Well, I'll chat with you later. I love you. All right. Love you too. Thanks for listening and supporting our podcast. We would love for you to follow us on your favorite podcast platform, and if you want to give us a five star rating, we would forever be grateful. You can contact us at our email via. The brutal and bizarre at gmail.com or on our Instagram at the brutal underscore bizarre underscore boozy.